Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Okay, I realized I recorded this episode and forgot to plug my Patreon, which I want to do. So just quickly, if you are interested in becoming a Patreon member, a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains. It's the link in my bio on my feathers underscore pod Instagram account. And I'm posting two episodes a week. It's $5 a month. And I'm posting a shit ton of content. Recently, I put out out an episode on Freckled Fox, the Mormon mommy blogger who her husband died and then she remarried really quickly and then he accidentally shot her. <laughs> Troy and I did an episode on high society. I did a really hyper-specific episode on Kelly Rutherford's custody case, <laughs> which is a passion of mine and I'm so glad I could talk about it. I had Moni on from the podcast Mixing with Moni to talk about early Real Housewives of Orange County. I did an episode on the Tati Jeffrey Shane drama and I have a shit ton more coming out in the next couple weeks I have already recorded episodes on Shane Dawson Queen of Versailles uh, smothered the TLC show I did an episode on Jenna Marbles tomorrow Princess and I are recording an episode on Girls Incarcerated tonight I'm recording an episode on the Demi Lovato YouTube series or not series YouTube documentary I just have so much content. I don't know. I might have to start posting three episodes a week because I have so many episodes. But for $5 a month, you get at least one episode a week, but really two, maybe three episodes a week. And it's called Liz Explains It All. You can go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains or find the link in my bio. Okay, now get on with the episode. Hi, it's me, your old friend Liz Bentley. (laughs) Guys, Ugh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I took two weeks off in a row. I don't think I've ever done that, have I? You would probably know better than me. <laughs> but I don't think that I've done that. Anyway, it was crazy. Let me tell you. So, last Tuesday, maybe, my mom started coughing. And my mom never coughs. Like, she's an extremely healthy person. My mom's in incredible shape. She eats the healthiest that anybody in this entire world eats like (laughs) she's in great great shape and she never really gets sick ever and so she started coughing and we were like oh uh -oh." the next day she's coughing she has a headache she has a fever and we're like oh this is really bad so she goes and get a covid test i'm feeling fine and then on friday i started i don't know i had a headache i like didn't feel well and then i started throwing up And once I started throwing up, I went to get a COVID test because I was like, this is so weird that we're both sick at the same time. I know gastric issues are often a symptom of it. And I just felt really sick. And it was so, oh, it sucked. I had to wait. I went to an urgent care to get my COVID test. And I had to wait in my car for like maybe 45 minutes before they brought me in for the test. And Um, I was throwing up and I like kept having to get out of my car to puke into like a public trash can in the shopping center the urgent care was in. I felt so sick. It's I just like leaned my uh, car seat back and was like laying in my car. It really was awful. I got the test, the brain test. It honestly wasn't that bad. (laughs) I think part of it is that I felt really sick and was like actively throwing up when I got it. Like when I walked in the doctor's office, I had to throw up more. And so I think I was like a little out of it. But I will say it reminded me of doing <laughs> a line of drugs. It was very similar feeling to that because like 
what else would be that far up my nose? You know what I mean? It really didn't hurt. It was just weird. So then I come back from the doctor's office, like feeling not great. And then that night I started coughing, like really horrible, horrible cough. The next day is usually when I record feathers in my hair about Saturday. I had a fever that day. I was coughing. I just felt so shitty. And then I started to feel a little better on Sunday. Monday, I'm feeling a little better. My COVID test comes back. It's negative. And I was like, okay. But they were like, well, if your mom is waiting on her test results, by the way, they told me the test results were going to take seven to 10 days. They took two days, thank God. And I was like, okay, but they were like, it's possible you tested too early. And if your mom's test comes back positive, then you need to retest. So I was like, okay, I'll stay at home even though I'm starting to feel a little better until my mom's test comes back. And then the next day, my mom's test came back negative. And we both feel better. And it's, I don't know. It's very weird that we both got sick at the same time with symptoms that were very similar to COVID symptoms. Um, And then we both just got better. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I saw people online say I tested three times before I got a positive result. And so I don't know. Maybe I had it. I I just am not sure. I If my mom's test came back positive, I was going to retest or maybe just like kind of presume I was positive. But because it didn't, I know the tests aren't that reliable, but I feel like both of our tests coming back negative, uh, to me at least, indicates that we don't have it. I feel totally fine. I felt totally fine since like Tuesday. It was just like a weird summer bug or cold. I will say the coughing was very weird. I I've bad allergies, so I get sick a lot and that like, and I have a bad stomach. I don't know. I'm not that healthy. And so I have, I sneeze a lot and I get headaches a lot and stuff like that, but I don't cough that often. So like hacking up a lung coughing in the middle of summer is not a usual thing for me. So it was just very weird. But then the coffee went away by like Tuesday. And the the craziest part is that if this happened in July 2019, we both just would have felt sick and not blinked an eye. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would not have been a thing. I would have been like, oh, I'm sick. My mom's sick. It sucks. But both of us being sick at the same time with similar symptoms really just flipped me out. It was not great for my anxiety. It just wasn't. I think that probably I did start to feel a lot better once my test came back negative because I'm sure that's just like all anxiety. I mean, I had real symptoms. I was throwing up for until they gave me, thank God they gave me Zofran at the walk-in clinic, but I was throwing up for like two hours and then I like to the point of dry heaving and then I was coughing for four days. So like, it's not like the symptoms were made up, but I think I probably felt 10 times worse because I was like living in this nightmare, assuming that my mom and I have COVID my stepdad smokes a little, he smokes like four cigarettes a day, which is bad. So I was like, oh, I really hope I don't give it to him. I don't know. So yeah, that's, that's my possible COVID story. (laughs) It's just been a mess, guys. It's been a real, it's really weird to get sick in 2020 is what I'm saying. And I'm sure most of you can relate to that. And it's just very weird that we both got sick at the same time. The thing is, it's like all of the symptoms could just be something else. So I'm really glad that neither of us have it. I was like really sure that we had it. I just like had resigned myself to it. And honestly, I I felt sick, but like not so sick, like I was dying where I was like, 
okay, if this, if I, if I have it, like, this is, I can deal with this. This is fine. Like, once I kind of accepted in my head I had it, I was like, okay, this is fine. But then once I got the negative test back, that really helped my anxiety a lot, and I felt a lot better. So, thank you all for the well wishes. I'm sorry if I alarmed anyone, but I just, I don't know. I, I was dramatic, you know? I was just feeling very dramatic. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> I'm pulling up my Instagram because I want to read about Nate getting a PFA against him. So if you guys are not following me on Instagram, you should because it's feathers underscore pod. And one, Nate went on this crazy rant last week about politics. And you know why I was all over that. I was like thrilled to watch that. And one of the things he was saying, I posted, he posted like a five minute video on his stories and I recorded the whole thing and posted it. He explained that the president, well, first he starts out by saying there are three branches of government. And I was like, okay, okay. Like this is off to a positive start. Great. And then he explained that the government is, or the president actually has no power and that a lot of people are blaming the president for things that are totally out of his power because there are three branches of government. And I'm like, yeah, but the president is the executive branch <laughs> that, like, he still has power. <laughs> then he went on to call Trump the commander of chief. And he compared Trump, the president of the United States. He said, you know how the queen doesn't really have any power. She's just a figurehead. And so that's what the American president is like. So that wasn't great. He also said that he was not for strengthening the middle class. <laughs> <laughs> and explained that Republicans want small government while Democrats want big governments, and that's why he's a Republican, and that Republicans don't think that abortion and gay marriage should have been voted on to be made a law. <laughs> it's just like, I'm sorry, it's such low-hanging fruit. It's like, how am I not going to make fun of this? Because the thing is, Nate could have just not got on Insta stories and talked for five minutes about his political knowledge. <laughs> and there would be nothing to laugh about. <laughs> like, this is not my fault. I have to make fun of this. He's the one that put it out there. <laughs> so I was really like on a Nate, um, on a Nate kick already because I was like, this is really funny. Um, he also posted, because obviously he got a lot of pushback for this. So he posted this Insta story that said, I'm sorry Three exclamation points. If my friends want to call me racist because I'm white, guess what? You're racist. I'm tired of this white and black battle. We bleed the same. Love and uphold one another. I'm sorry I want to be your brother. And then he tagged to what I'm assuming are black people. Um, I'm assuming that because I'm not sure, like, who else would have been tagged in this. I guess I could look this up. I'm not going to... Well, it's on my Instagram stories, but... Like, he tagged, it doesn't even come up, whatever. He tagged two of his black friends who I guess were calling him racist. Um, when I first read that, I had to read it a couple times to realize he was talking about, like, people he knew in real life were calling him out because I was like, I don't know, I kind of read it quickly and I was like, oh, he's definitely getting pushback about that stupid Instagram stories that he posted. Um, but no, I guess his actual, like, real life friends were calling him racist, which is... A tough. That's probably a tough one. 
Um, and then I really love how he deployed the classic, if you call me racist, you're actually racist. That's really my favorite comeback is like, if you think that me, a white person is racist, then you're the racist one. It's probably the most nonsensical to me. And it's definitely one that I see a lot on the internet and it just has never made any sense. So then in the next slide, he tagged three black people and I clicked through to make sure that they were black. Um, And he said, my brother's for life and I guarantee they would have my back with exclamation points. So Nate not only acknowledged that he had friends calling him out as racist, he then went on to tag the rest of his black friends to solidify that he's not racist. He just straight up pulled the I have a black friend so I can't be racist thing. They were deleted pretty quickly. Um, I would have to imagine, you know, whoever owns like 305 Fitness, like sent him a message and was like, can you delete this? Like, Please don't post this. <laughs> I mean, I question anybody that's friends with Nate, but I can't imagine you're like workout buddies with Nate and like you don't watch Team Mom, so you don't know anything about it. You go to the gym together and that's like really all you know him from. And then you wake up one day and see that he has tagged you as his black friend in a story. That would be tough. I really feel for those people. Um, So that was like, Nate was already having an exciting weekend for me at least. And then Team Mom Shade Room, the Instagram account, found uh, that Nate had been served with a, I don't know what they call it in Florida. I'll call it a PFA. That's what we call it when we talk about them on the show usually. That's what we call them in Pennsylvania. And I realized, like, he hadn't been arrested because he's listed as the respondent and a woman is listed as the petitioner, uh, which means that it's not... Respondent means that it's, like, a civil suit. I've explained this before, how PFAs are not criminal. And respondent means that you're the person, like, responding to the petition. Um, And if it was, like, criminal, if he was arrested, he would be called a defendant. So... The girl's name is out there. I'm choosing not to publicly post it. When it was posted on Reddit, her name wasn't included because you on Reddit they are pretty strict about like not including people not on the show. And then when I went to check on Team Mom Shade Room, she had posted her name. Um, I this woman is a victim of stalking, so I and harassment, so I'm not going to post her name. But I want to clarify that this woman is not his long-term girlfriend, Ashley. Oh, another context. So this came out on Monday, I believe. And on Sunday, Ashley had posted a picture of Nate and her at the beach together kissing. So this ha- this breaks the day after that picture. So Nate and Ashley are very much together. So I saw that and I was like, oh, shit. And it says charges or case type stalking. I'm like, fuck. So I guess I had court the next day because... Uh, they went to court <laughs> and articles came out and the son had the exclusive information. So I'll just go over this. So he is being accused of stalking threats and verbal verbal abuse in the restraining order that's being obtained in Florida court papers exclusively obtained by the son. Nathan's female friend filed a restraining order request against him on July 2nd, which has been granted for one year. 
The female friend, who the son has chosen not to name, explained how she was introduced to Nathan, 32, in August 2018 at a Florida lounge and encountered him several times since their initial meeting. In March 2020, Nathan allegedly began unwanted, unwelcome contact, including showing up at her home uninvited, unannounced, belligerent, drunk, and refusing to leave when asked, according to court documents. She claimed in the petition that he sent her unwanted text messages on social media accounts and would come to her home after being told not to several times. In an alleged April 2020 incident, the pal claimed that the reality star came to her home after she told him not to come three times. She called police for trespassing and was advised by an officer to file a restraining order as the report claimed no crime had occurred. According to the petition, the friend claimed after the incident, Nathan, who is a former military veteran, that's weird wording because... He is a military veteran. Isn't that right? If you, you, You're not a formal military veteran because veteran implies that you're no longer in the military. Well, call me to edit some things, the son. Uh, okay. Told her that she should watch her six, which she took his watcher back. If you don't know, at least I learned this, watching your six is like watching your behind position. So like if you think of a clock, the six is at the bottom, so, like, the six is behind you. At least that's what I saw explained online. So, basically, Nate threatened her to watch her back. She also claimed in court papers that the team mom to dad admitted to being obsessed and said he will pull my crazy card. That's really scary. So, then they posted, they had some text messages that I guess the victim had uh, included in her petition. And... Uh, Nate says something to her like, you want me to take Snapchats with them right now? And she says, okay, what you got to do? Okay, do what you got to do. And he says, okay, good game. I tried to be your friend. Keep milking this system. And then he said, watch your six. And she responded, is that a threat? I don't know what the context of those is, but that's pretty scary. Um, These are actually on Facebook, I believe. Facebook messages. And she said, then another one where she says, no, I'm going to bed. And he replies, no, 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 no. Like all individual messages. And he says, I'm already on my way. And she says, no, don't come over tonight. Let me sleep. And he says, nope, pulling my crazy card. (sighs) Okay. I find Nate to be so terrifying because like in the becoming or being Nate episode, he's just so scared scary like he's so there's something about him that's a wild card princess always talks about how she finds 50 cents so scary because he like doesn't (laughs) he doesn't follow the rules of society and that makes her nervous and i feel that way about 50 cent as well but i really feel that way about nate he really makes me nervous because he is unhinged like he's very scary he's also an alcoholic and so i and he like he does shit while he's drunk and that scares me So she contacted the police for a second time for harassment and was again advised to file a restraining order. The women allege in the petition he has threatened that if I keep denying him that by the time he was done with me I would become unrecognizable. Another threat that he made over Snapchat was to sleep with my eyes open. She continued to claim he has shown a pattern of harassment via social media and text, which then follows up by arriving at my residence where he is unwanted, drunk, belligerent, and verbally abusive. I'm afraid for my safety and that of my child's. I'm afraid that he will act on the previous threats. I'm asking for help protecting my family. The woman requested her son also be protected in the request. She's also a text 
attached text messages. And one she told Nathan who he needed to go home to Ashley, which is his longtime friend, his longtime girlfriend, Ashley Leonard. A temporary order of protection against stalking was issued at the time. Nathan and his girlfriend appeared in court on July 14, where the judge granted the restraining order for one year. Um, so I did read on another site that it's actually a mutual restraining order against both of them. So I wanted to quickly explain that and why those get issued. So usually what happens, I've definitely explained this process before, but when you get a restraining order or protection from abuse against someone, what happens is you go to the court alone without a lawyer, oftentimes with the victim's advocate, if you call and ask for a victim's advocate, and you file uh, a petition and you go and see the, the judge ex parte, which means you go and see the judge by yourself. The other party is not there. And the judge will then um, grant or not grant, but oh, very often they are granted a temporary restraining order. The reason that they're... Most judges err on granting these because... Uh, no judge wants to be the judge that doesn't offer the that doesn't order the restraining order and then like the victim is really hurt or killed like that's a a bad story a lot of judges it's an elected position or you're appointed by a politician and so at least in my experience helping people get pfas i'm not sure if i ever saw a temporary one not ordered i don't i really don't think I ever saw a temporary one not ordered like they I'm sure there are times that they're not ordered when it just like does not meet the standard of the law but they almost always are ordered just because a judge feels like it's better to err on the side of uh err on the side of caution this is not a you know it's not a criminal thing it won't be on your record and the risk of not granting it is much higher for the, than the risk of granting it And so the judge will order it, and that will be active for, like, seven to ten days. I mean, this is COVID time, so who knows, but in normal times, it's active for, like, seven to ten days, and then both of you go in front of the judge, like, and have a regular hearing for a full restraining order. Um, And so a lot of times, what the... The lawyers, I mean, you don't necessarily need a lawyer to do this process, but most victims will get a lawyer, especially if they can go to legal aid. It just, it's helpful to have a lawyer. It makes more sense to have a lawyer if you can have one. And, but often, a lot of times what will happen is the lawyers will decide beforehand that they are going to mutually agree to enter into a like dual restraining order where both parties agree not to have contact with one another for, I would always say for a year, but that's probably state dependent on just how long their regular uh, restraining orders run. Like, because in Pennsylvania, they run for one year. At least they did when I was working in the system. Like, it's standard to run for a year. And yeah, so I would bet that what happened was Nate went to court and the victim's lawyer asked if he would be willing to enter into a mutual agreement and he said yes and the victim said yes and that way they don't even ever really go in front of the judge they go in front of the judge with their settlement it's a settlement is what it is um similar to like a plea deal it's to avoid going to trial basically especially I mean they're really especially if you are the respondent in this case and you feel like there's pretty good chance that it's going to be granted against you, then it just makes sense to agree to it. Um, 
because then you can just avoid like you avoid all of the stuff that would come out in the trial then being like public record I'm trying to remember if this I think it might even look different in the system if you agree to the mutual one versus if you are placed on one by the court I can't remember that for sure so I don't want to speak on that for sure but there is a benefit for agreeing with it and Oftentimes, the victims are very willing to agree with it because that means that they don't have to be cross-examined. That means that they don't have to fight and they just get what they want and they don't want to talk to the abuser or the harasser or whatever that person is anyway. So they would just rather, you know, just agree. It's like, I that's fine if I'm under it too because I don't want to have anything to do with him. So that's probably what happened. That's what would happen if it was in Pennsylvania and I would imagine Florida is probably pretty similar Um, there's also no mention of, like, a trial or anything. I mean, trial feels dramatic. They're not trial. They're trials, but they're short. It's short. It's not an all-day, excuse me, it's not an all-day affair. The judge will see many of these in one day. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty quick process if you just agree to it. So that's terrifying. Um, to me... I would assume this is a woman that Nate was trying to have a romantic relationship with. Um, I think the fact that she said go home to Ashley, at least to me, like that's something you say to someone that if you're hooking up with them and they have a girlfriend, whether that girlfriend is on and off or whatever is going on with Nate and Ashley, like that's something that you say to them, you know, like why don't you go home to her? Like go home to your girlfriend. I don't want you. I don't know. That's not just like a friendship thing I think it makes sense to guess that they probably had some some sort of romantic texting romantic might be sexual like some sort of sexual relationship whether it just be text or flirty or maybe they hooked up once or who knows I mean he was going to her house like he knew where she lived I would guess that this is someone he was cheating on Ashley with would be my guess um And whether that be just through inappropriate text messages or maybe they did hook up a few times. I mean, it says they met in 2018 and like saw each other on occasion. So like it wouldn't be hard for me to believe that they hooked up in 2018 and like every once in a while they would hook up and then she was just done with it and Nate lost his mind. Okay, I need to address Ashley. (sighs) I am trying really hard to have empathy for Ashley because using my thinking cap, it seems almost impossible to me that Ashley is not a victim of domestic violence, right? Like how, how is it possible that Nate has abused all of his previous girlfriends? He beat, he beat the shit out of Jessica. He is now in trouble for harassing and stalking this girl. He's telling her to watch her back, that he's going to pull his crazy card, that you won't recognize your, like nobody will recognize you when I'm done with you. I believe Nate is an abuser. That has always been the position of Feathers in My Hair podcast is that Nate is an abuser. So for me, it's very easy to judge Ashley. Ashley is educated. Ashley works in mental health. Ashley is a fucking counselor. And so to me, it's like, Ashley, get a fucking clue. What are you doing? But I need to remember that Nate is an abuser and I need to have empathy for Ashley because I need to assume that Ashley is 
part of like is being abused. Remember when she DM me like defending him and was like, Nate doesn't have a drinking problem. He was pushed to behaving the way that he does like two years ago. I don't know. It's hard because Ashley posts a lot about Nate on her like her Instagram and does a lot of, you know, just like we're perfect couple type of projection onto social media. So the fact that we don't see like the messy side of Ashley where she's like, fuck Nate, like she's never post Ashley for better or for worse, like is pretty mature on social media. I actually haven't checked her Twitter in quite a while, but at least on and it hasn't come up on Reddit, so I'm sure she hasn't said anything. But at least on Instagram, like, she's not posting, you know, every time her and Nate get into a fight. She's not like, fuck Nate, I'm single. Like, she, she's not doing that. Ashley's in her 30s. <laughs> and she does at least act semi-maturely on social media. So it's hard to, it. at least, like, for me, it's like, Ashley, all you're doing is enabling him. And you look like a fucking idiot, which is true. Ashley looks like an idiot. Imagine going to the court case the court case for your boyfriend harassing someone the like the restraining order case and you go with him a woman i did a lot of stupid shit with my ex-boyfriend and supported him through a lot of stupid shit a lot of stupid shit oh my god stuff that i'm like still embarrassed about to this day um but at least i never did that <laughs> I just am really trying to keep the mentality that Ashley must be one of Nate's victims, that leaving is really hard, and I just genuinely hope that one day Ashley will be able to separate herself from him because it doesn't seem like she is able to do that or knows how to do that, and that's sad and a shame. And I I definitely feel for her, and I'm worried for her safety. Um, But at the same time, it's like... She's going to regret this because this isn't just a normal like, first of all, her name is not that common. Ashley Linhart. It's like L-I-L-I-E-N-H-A-R-D-T. Like that's that's not her name is not Ashley Smith. Like she does have like a decently unique last name and um, her name is on Google now, like attached to all of this shit. Like, now her name is on the sun, like, talking about how she went to Nate's court case with him. Like, this isn't just, like, a normal person, like, doing embarrassing shit for their toxic relationship. Like, this is on, um, this is on line. This is on TV, essentially. And she just looks like an idiot. (laughs) But, uh, I need to try and have empathy for her. My initial, like, thought is, like, Ashley, you're a fucking idiot. And then it's like, okay, but, like, she's probably an abuse victim and this is what she feels like she has to do. Maybe to protect herself. Maybe she just has zero self-esteem and Nate has just worn her the fuck down. Um, I will say she is smart enough that she has not had a baby with him. And she has not agreed to marry him. Remember that time he tweeted, like, I've asked my girlfriend to marry me three times and she says no every time? Um, So those two factors kind of make me guess that she at least has something in her brain that is like, I do not want to attach myself to him for life. And I really genuinely hope that she is able to rid herself of this relationship before she decides to have a baby by him. I hope she has an IUD. Like, I hope she has some tamper-proof birth control or get married to him and, like, legally bind herself to him. I really hope that she is able to not do those things. So, Ashley, you're not listening. 
but I'm going to try and have more empathy for you because I think that Nate is very scary. And I can't imagine, like, drunk Nate in my house. (sighs) Scary. Scary, scary, scary. Speaking of, I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to recap this throwback episode because I I didn't pick this on purpose. I was going to do this one, like, three weeks ago because... And then I re- remember I took notes on, like, the wrong episode. And so I was like, oh, I'll just do that next time. And it, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty topical. So I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll do that. So, season six, episode seven, Teen Mom 2, or more famously known as Why Am I a Guy? <laughs> Oh, God, we should just talk about Janelle and Nate right away, just because this is very relevant to what we're talking about. So the episode starts with a 911 call. It is the producers calling. Now, later in the episode, they're going to say that a neighbor called 911, but a producer called that came out like when the arrest first happened. Uh, Production was standing outside of Janelle and Nate's house. They started hearing her scream and he had locked the doors. And so they called 911. I think that Nate can pretend all he wants that he didn't hit Janelle. And people can act like Janelle is so dramatic and this fight is all Janelle's fault, which they definitely do. But the reality is, is that Janelle was screaming loud enough and like worried enough that the producers felt like they needed to call 911 from outside the house. And that to me indicates a very scary fight. So they heard her screaming, get off of me, get off of me. They didn't just hear her screaming. So I don't know, maybe Janelle was just standing by herself in the middle of the foyer screaming, get off of me, get off of me. But knowing what we know about Nate, I think it's more likely that he was going after her. Um, they, Like I said, they haven't broken the fourth wall yet this season, so they are not acknowledging that it's the producers that are calling, but it's absolutely MTV that calls. So the cops come and they're taking a picture of Janelle's injuries. She's not injured. Um, she just has a cut on her uh, on her finger because Nate had ripped her engagement ring off of her finger, which is absolutely assault. You you don't you can't touch someone. <laughs> someone doesn't want to be touched. You're not allowed to touch them. If you want something that somebody is holding, you're not allowed to physically, like, take it from them. If somebody has a ring on their finger that you want and they won't give it to you, then it's too bad. You don't get it. (laughs) You don't get to rip a fucking ring off of somebody's finger. Like, that, that's not, you can't do that. You you can't do that. That's domestic violence. Um, I know people probably think of it like, oh, who cares, whatever. That's not, like really bad and Janelle was not hurt and I'm not saying it's the same thing as being punched in the face but these little things start to add up and abuse rarely starts with being punched in the face it starts with things like that and at this time Janelle and Nate like had already acknowledged that there was abuse um if you'll well Nate probably didn't but if you'll remember when Janelle was pregnant with Kaiser Nate choked her in front of Jace and Jace said to Barb Nate's going to kill mommy um, because Jace saw Nate choke a pregnant Janelle. Um, and we know that Nate chokes people because he broke into Janelle Janelle's house after he had moved out and choked uh, Kiefer, who was in the house, and he choked Jessica. So Nate strangles people. Like, that's what Nate does. And he's probably going to kill someone one day because, strang- like, a, a partner strangling someone is actually, like, the number one indicator that they will... 
uh, end up being like a domestic violence murder is if there's strangulation. And that's why I like try to have a lot of empathy for Ashley because it's like Nate strangles people and that's really scary. And I can talk shit on Ashley all day long. But if that is something that's happening in her home, like that's really fucking scary. And it's easy to sit here and be like, I can't believe she went to court with him. But if he's beating her up, then yeah, I I can believe it. So uh, Nate is brought out of the house in handcuffs and I just want everyone to like visualize visualize that he is wearing a full what I would call a Tiger Woods outfit which is like black pants and a red polo (laughs) you know in Parks and Recreation when Ron Swanson gets laid he comes in in his Tiger Woods outfit like this is Nate's Tiger Woods outfit my favorite thing about Nate in the Janelle era is that he was like always dressed in a business casual look even though he had no business like I'll never forget one year they went like Christmas tree shopping I think it was even one of those places where you like cut your own tree down and he said like dress shoes like slacks like a nice sweater <laughs> he just looked so funny Nate was always rocking a business casual outfit <laughs> so he is being brought out in handcuffs and he's screaming Janelle Janelle tell them I didn't do it tell them I didn't do anything you know I didn't do anything. Please, Janelle, tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. He's crying. He's like, I never laid a hand on her. Why am I being arrested? Because I'm a guy? Why am I a guy? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's not funny, but it is. You know, it's not funny, but it is. He's just begging Janelle over and over and over again to tell the truth. And Janelle just kind of watches him get brought away I will say Janelle in this episode when I think of what Janelle looks like it's how she is in this episode she has blonde highlights she's wearing like a shirt from Express and like a pair of jeans she might even have that Tiffany choker necklace on like this is peak Janelle as far as looks go not peak is like this is the pretty she's ever been but like this is when Janelle is at her most Janelle and Nate gets arrested So we get a cute little scene of Barbara trying to teach Jace to read, but it's not going very well. And then Janelle lets us know that Nate is still in jail and that the state is pressing charges. And she talks about this a few times, and this is definitely something that happens uh, for quite a few reasons. And I'll just quickly explain it. I'm sure this has been discussed on here before, but this definitely has. Basically what happens is when there are domestic violence cases, oftentimes the state Well, the state is always the one that presses charges. So that's kind of like a a misnomer. But what she's saying is that the state is deciding to go forward with a case regardless if Janelle is going to cooperate or not. Now, the reason that domestic violence cases get dropped so often is because the victim will decide that they no longer want to cooperate with the investigation. And it's extremely hard to prove a domestic violence case if the victim will not get on the stand and testify you can subpoena them they can lie it's just rarely worth the effort for the state to go after the abuser if the victim is not going to cooperate um so one way to combat this because domestic violence is really i will say i don't want to like forgive the police and the justice system but it it is very complicated and it is really hard to prosecute and there have been a lot of mandates that have been established to try and counteract um, the fact that victims 
rarely will want to cooperate with an investigation. And as we know, it takes a victim on average seven times to leave an abuser. And as we know, like it, it oftentimes after the arrest, the victim will go back and be in the relationship. And so it's really hard and complicated. So states have come up with a bunch of ways to counteract this. One of them is some states will have mandatory arrest laws, which is if police come for a domestic violence call, like somebody is getting arrested. And they did this, good intentions, because at the time police were not making arrests at domestic violence calls. And so this was kind of to force police to actually do their job and arrest people. But unfortunately, this ends up in victims sometimes getting arrested if it looks like the victim has attacked the abuser, was the initial aggressor. It can be really hard for the police to suss out exactly what's happening. Sometimes they'll both get arrested just so the cops can then figure it out. But then a victim is arrested. Um, and another way that they're combating this is that they are going, a lot of states and uh, district attorney's offices are going forward with pressing charges, even if the victim's not cooperating. So in a case like this, even though... I mean, I feel like this is very unlikely that this would happen because, you know, like the the assault was so minor, like minor feels weird to say there, but in the grand scheme of things, right? She just had a little scratch, but they do have witnesses. So the people who called the police, MTV production could testify that we heard Nate and Janelle start screaming at each other. He locked all the doors. We tried to enter in the house. He was screaming. She was screaming. She was screaming, get off of me. We heard her. You know what I mean? Like they could testify. And then the police could testify about what violence they saw in their behavior. And it's possible they could have enough evidence to produce a case regardless of if Janelle wanted to press charge, if Janelle wanted to cooperate or not. Um, This is more likely to happen in a case that has more physical evidence where the victim has been badly beaten, you know, because then the cops can testify about what they saw on the scene, the state of the victim, the doctors. I mean, they would have to get a warrant or subpoena and, you know, compel them to testify because of doctor patient privilege. But they could talk about the victim the injuries and the bruises that happened and what the victim had told them happened that night. So things like that. So when Janelle is saying like the state is pressing charges, what she's saying is that I, I, well, I'm assuming this, that I don't want to press charges. And the state said, okay, too bad. We're still going for it. We're still going through with it anyway. Okay. So Janelle has her friend Krista come over and Janelle explains basically how this fight started. So Nate admitted that he had been talking to someone else for two weeks. This is very much at the end of Janelle and Nate's relationship. I believe that person was probably Jessica because he was with Jessica before leaving Janelle. And according to Janelle, she's like, okay, go fuck yourself. And she goes to basically pack her shit up because she's like, I'm leaving you. We're done. Janelle's like number one thing is cheating. This is something I know about Janelle. I feel like you can do anything to Janelle. But Janelle gets really mad when you cheat. Like, and I've I've talked about that on here. Like, I think one of the biggest reasons that Janelle stays with David is because he doesn't cheat on her. There's something going on with somebody that David hooked up with that, I'll be honest, I've not been closely following J- David and Janelle stuff because I just find David to be so vile that it it's past the point of it being, like, entertaining or funny to me. And I just don't really care about what's going on between the two of them. So there's something going on with, I guess David hooked up with her when Janelle and David were apart and now she's talking shit on David and David's threatening to sue her. I just can't. 
they're so ludicrous, the two of them, that they, as I've always said, I'm the Goldilocks of drama, right? Like, I don't like there to be too little drama, but I also don't like there to be too much drama. I want there to be just enough. And I do feel like Janelle and David, like their lives are at the too much for me point now where it's not even really interesting. But I do think a big reason that Janelle stayed with David for so long, especially in the beginning before things got really abusive, would be because David doesn't cheat. And by all accounts, David is home all the time and David is paying her attention. And even if that attention is negative and abusive to Janelle, that's just attention. Like Nate, if you go back and watch their relationship, Nate was always leaving her alone. Nate was always talking to other girls. Nate was always cheating on her. And I think she never had any feeling of security at all in her relationship with Nate. And I think that with David, as sick as it is, I think she ha- feels a lot of security with him, which is, I mean, that's sad, right? Like, that's really sad. But I think for her, she's like, well, David doesn't cheat on me, so I can deal with the rest of this because, like, even if he's, like, hitting me or screaming at me, like, at least it's attention he's giving me. Oh, so sad. So Janelle's goes on to explain to Krista that she's packing her stuff up and Nate's like, give me that ring back. Give me the engagement ring back. And Janelle's like, no, I'm not giving you my ring back. And I guess they somehow make it into the bathroom and Nate pins her up against the toilet and is trying to grab her ring. And then he ripped it off her finger. And then they have this weird little conversation that (laughs) I do really like these kind of fourth wall breaking conversations before they broke the fourth wall because Chris is like well is there was there anybody else in the house and what she's asking was like was MTV in the house because I know you were filming was production in the house because like why would you ask if anybody else was in the house you would either ask what was Kaiser in the house or like I don't know she's clearly asking about MTV right and Janelle says that he locked all the doors so no one could get in and that's really scary to me Like, really scary to me because Nate knew that there were people outside that would break up a fight. I mean, I don't actually know what MTV... Well, yeah, because at that time, I wonder if they had security. So there's this guy, Andre, who's a security guard. He's this huge guy, and he is basically works as security. And if you remember on Team Mom Young and Pregnant on one of the last episodes when Rachel Beaver got into that fight and you can see actual security guards like pop out. They're wearing like khaki pants and collared shirts and all of a sudden they're like breaking up the fight. Um, so I don't know if like a camera guy would necessarily rush it to pull Nate off Janelle, but I think somebody would. So it's really scary to think that Nate would lock the door. There's a level of premeditation and like terror there that like gives me gives me a chill like it's just it's just scary um she said she was crying her eyes out Janelle's famous phrase please let me leave please let me leave and he wouldn't let her leave so the neighbors called the cops it it's crazy to think that they stayed together a little bit after this those two and it's really scary to think that Nate has not changed. In fact, he seemingly has escalated since then. We know he was way worse with Jessica. God only knows how he is with Ashley. And I just can't stop thinking about him like showing up drunk to your house. Like imagine how scary that is. First of all, we know he breaks into people's houses. Um, That's like a reoccurring thing for him. And I mean, does Nate have a gun? Is Nate allowed to have a gun? Like, he doesn't have any felony charges as far as, or like felony convictions as far as I know. So is Nate armed? 
Oh, God, that's really scary. The idea of Nate having guns is really fucking scary to me, but why wouldn't he have guns? He's former military. He doesn't have felony convictions. I mean, he did have that. Well, I guess uh, another thing is a lot of times when you, at least in Pennsylvania, if there's a PFA against you, you have to turn over all of your guns to the police. Um, That's like the net. Once the PFA is in agreement, you have to agree to get rid of, like you give your guns to the the sheriff's office for a year and you're not allowed to have your guns by that PFA. Um, So that is actually a reason that a lot of people won't agree to the mutual PFA, even if they would like agree to not contacting them is because they don't want to give up their guns scary yes i know but i wonder if nate had to turn over guns with the restraining order because i feel like nate would probably have guns i hope ashley doesn't let nate have guns oh that's really scary to think of a drunk nate with a gun i but like that i don't see why he legally wouldn't be allowed to have a gun by the way I think he has a court case, a court date coming up for that DUI he got. Remember the DUI he got last fall when they found him passed out in his car drunk? (laughs) Not to laugh. But then he also had that mental health issue um, over Christmas when he, like, flipped out at Doris in front of Kaiser. And then they had to call the police and take him to the psych ward. So I wonder if that maybe affects his ability to get guns. I'm not sure. The idea of Nate having a gun is really, really scary to me. I will say... As far as I know, I've never heard him speak about, like, the Second Amendment and how he owns guns and how he's, like, a proud gun owner. I've never heard him talk about that. So I hope he doesn't, but my gut says he he does. So Nathan makes bail, but there's a no-contact order. We also get Janelle. There's a lot of crazy sayings in this episode that go on to become, like, staples of the Teen Mom fandom. Uh, Janelle's uh, changing Kaiser, and she says to stop playing with your pee bug. If you guys will remember, Nathan calls his dick his pee bug. <laughs> that's the name they use for Kaiser's dick, too. It, that's gross to say about a baby. A baby is a penis. Um, so Janelle tells Kaiser to stop playing with his pee bug. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Janelle and Nate cannot talk for a month until their court date. So Nate goes to see Josh and Josh's best friend. I find Josh to be disgusting. Like, the way that Josh defends Nate online, I don't know if he still is. I just find to be really pathetic. Like, why you have loyalty to this extremely bad person, I'll never know. So, Nate goes to see Josh and says, you know, an altercation got blown out of proportion. He's like, I never meant to hurt her. You know, She knows that I didn't mean to hurt her. And she says we wrestled, but we didn't wrestle around. He said, I just tried to get the ring off her finger. And to me, that's enough, right? He just admitted, like, why are you physically ripping a ring off of someone's finger? It doesn't matter if you wrestled around or not. Like, don't go up to Janelle and rip a ring off her finger. Like, you, you don't get to do that. Just admitting that, to me at least, is admitting that the arrest was right. Like, I mean, would it... Would you call the police for somebody ripping a ring off your finger? Like, probably not. But what I'm saying is that, like, the charge reflects... The charge is legit, as far as I'm concerned, because Nathan is admitting that he forcefully ripped the engagement ring off of Janelle's finger. And I don't... I think we all know if Janelle's refusing to give it to him that he walked up and, like, easily slid it off her finger. The only way that he could have gotten it from her is to grab her arm and grab it off her hand. So there... Even if he's saying, like... 
Janelle blew it out of proportion. She knew I didn't mean to hurt her. I'm not sure why she's saying that. We weren't wrestling around. But, like, you used enough force that you were able to get the ring off of her finger. The ring was not on her finger when the police came. So how did you do that? How did you manage to do that? I, it, To me, it seems likely that he pinned her against the toilet and grabbed it off of her hand. Because, obviously, like, she was... Janelle's not just going to stand there and let him take it. She said that she wasn't letting him take it. So somehow, some way, he figured out a way to get it off of her hand. He's like, I'm pretty sure if we were wrestling around, it would be worse than a scratch on her finger. And that, to me, is just very classic abuser language. Um, because that's not necessarily true. Like, if you pin someone against a wall, like, they're not... Or the toilet. Like, they don't... They won't necessarily have bruises. Like, why would they, you know what I mean? Especially if it's just for 30 seconds or less, the amount of time that it takes to rip the the ring off your finger. Like, you wouldn't have bruises from that. She did say that her hip was bruised when the police came. So I wonder if, like, he pinned her against, with her hip against the toilet. Um, they're, like, why, if your only goal was to rip the ring off her finger and you're, like, kind of wrestling around, I actually believe that you wouldn't have more bruises and that there wouldn't be more injuries because you're pretty able to quickly overpower her and get what you want. Then Nate says, maybe it is my fault because I do make Janelle feel insecure because I talk to other women from time to time, but that's because I don't feel like I'm getting enough attention. Once again, this is a deranged thing to say. Nate is admitting to openly cheating on Janelle regularly and that it might make her feel insecure and that he does it because she doesn't give him attention. Like, He's just like, well, you know, I guess the fight was my fault because I do cheat on Janelle. And look, this is not me saying Janelle was a good girlfriend to Nate. (laughs) This is not me saying that because Janelle is fucking crazy and she gave as good as she got with Nate. You know, like Janelle is wild. I'm sure she was screaming at Nate all the time. Um, I'm sure she wasn't giving him the attention that he wanted because I'm, I don't know if Janelle can give that to anybody, but hearing him be like, well, you know, yeah, I guess it's right that she, I love how he says from, I talk to other women from time to time. That's a crazy thing to say when you're engaged to somebody. (laughs) What does that mean from time to time? You either talk to other women or you don't. As far as I'm concerned, you either talk to other women or you don't talk to other women. (laughs) There's no from time to time about it. Um, He says that he can't leave Janelle because he loves her too much. And he says, our hearts are both in sync and our hearts beat the same. (laughs) Oh, God, it's a really crazy thing to say. Janelle lets us know that she's going to go look at apartments because she is ready to move out and not be with Nate. And she's in the car with Ryan Dolph. And Ryan Dolph is Janelle's long-term friend. She's no longer friends with Ryan Dolph. Nate is still friends with Ryan Dolph. He was Janelle's weed dealer for years and years and years. She met him because Gary had dated his sister. Um, so Ryan Dolph has been in the picture for a long time, but they had a falling out a couple years ago. I think everybody, you know, Janelle doesn't keep friends for a long time, but I will say she was friends with Ryan Dolph for quite a long time. But he fell out over... Um, he doesn't like David and he is on Nate's side when it comes to Kaiser and they all believe like Rindoff has tweeted that like he knows that David beats Kaiser which like look do I think David beats Kaiser yeah I do of course I do I think 
I think the best case scenario, like the best, the best, the best case scenario in the Easton household is that David only hits Janelle. And that's a sad fucking thing to say, that that's the best case scenario. Um, and I do I think it's unlikely that that's what's happening? Yeah. Do I think that, I don't know what I think happens, but do I believe that Doris and Nate get Kaiser and he has marks on his body from David? Like, yeah, I do. Do I believe that Kaiser should be removed from Janelle's home? Of course, I think he should go be with Doris. Um, I, I think it's really sad that he wasn't removed permanently, like, two years ago, maybe. Because I think he's five now. I think he was born in 2015. So I think it's a shame that he wasn't, you know, I wish he could have been removed when he was, like, two. He could have been adopted by a nice family. Some family out there would like a little white two-year-old. Um, that would be a little hot commodity on the foster care system. That sounds gross to say. But more, that would be an easily adoptable situation if they had terminated Janelle and Nate's rights. But that's not what happened. And I think, obviously, Nate cannot be getting custody. I think they have custody hearings coming up. And I do believe that Doris has, I mean, done something with custody. The thing is... Nate's still acting for asking for full custody and Nate has had at least three police contact well four because if there have been twice that the girl the stalking victim has called the police on him in the last year and now there's the restraining order so that would be the DUI then he had the mental health issue thing that we don't know that much about about in December and then two like harassment trespassing calls against him even if he wasn't arrested for those that's four police contacts and a restraining order in less than a year and that like eight months let's say they go to court in august for custody and it's like within the last eight months you've had four police contacts including a harassment restraining order like that doesn't that doesn't look good for you (laughs) your chances of going from supervised custody to full custody in the state of Florida away from North Carolina where the child has been living doesn't look very good for you. Um, Not that Janelle's side looks particularly great considering she left David in the fall and God only knows the things that she told. I wonder the things that Janelle told Doris and Nate when she left David because if you remember Doris lives in Tennessee now. That's part of the reason that Janelle was in Tennessee so that Doris could help with Kaiser Allegedly, I don't think we ever got confirmation on that, but Doris was seeing Kaiser a lot in Tennessee, and I wonder the type of things that Janelle told Doris and Nate at this time that they now will be able to use against Nate, or excuse me, use against Janelle and David in a custody case. I'm curious about that. Back to this episode. So Ryan is trying to convince Janelle that there's no other girl, even though Nate Janelle's like, I can't be with him. He cheats on me. He's with other girls. And Ryan's like, there's no other girls. And it's like, he, he Nate admitted it. <laughs> Nate told Janelle that. <laughs> so Ryan calls Nate. Sorry, I keep messing all these names up. Nate calls Ryan while he's in the car with Janelle. And he talks, Ryan talks to Nate. And Nate's like, I just love Janelle. I want to be with her. And I need to change dramatically. <laughs> I can't believe P-Bug, Dramastically, and Why My Guy are all in one episode. (laughs) And so Ryan hangs up and he's describing to Janelle what Nate said. He said, you know, he said everything will change. She'll change drastically? Like, 
I know in his head, Ryan's like, what did he say to me? He didn't say drastically. And he's like stumbling on this word. And Janelle quickly corrects him and goes, dramatically. <laughs> Which means that Janelle and Nate had been regularly using the word dramatically. <laughs> because Janelle didn't hear what Nate said on the phone. Oh, my God. It's classic. She wants her family to work out. She wants it to work for her family, but she doesn't trust Nate, which is true and correct. And they do end up breaking up not that long after this. Okay. What happened with Kale and Javi in this episode? So things are going well with Kale and Javi. And I think this is kind of always how it was for Kale and Javi. They would have these big blowout fights. It'd be two weeks where they're really bad. Then they're good for two weeks and they're having fun and they love each other. And then it's bad again. But right now things are good and they're going to Florida, which is she's really looking forward to. Uh, Remember in the last episode, she's like, I'm not going to fucking Florida. And this week she's like, things are going great. And I'm very excited to go to Florida. By the way, did I talk about this on the podcast? That Kale is talking about having a home birth. Look. I would consider myself to be pro-home birth. My best friend has had four babies at home, all very healthily. I've learned a lot about home births from her before she got into this. I probably would have been like, nobody should ever have a home birth. Uh, I think that in the right circumstances, if you are healthy and you have a certified midwife, and by that I mean a midwife that is a nurse practitioner um, or even a doctor, Like, if you have a midwife that is certified and you get the all clear from the doctors and the midwife and you can have a home birth, like, I am all for it. That's great. I know some people don't think it should happen in any circumstance, but I also know that women in America die at high rates in hospitals, especially black women die in hospitals at really high rates. I think if you are a black woman that's pregnant, I would definitely understand and support the fact that you are looking to have a home birth. I think that that would make a lot of sense. So in general, I would say I'm I'm pretty pro home birth. I don't I would never do it ever. I don't think. But I get why people are into it. So Kale has decided she wanted to do a home birth. Kale has been told by three different doctors This is from Kale's mouth. Kale tells on herself all the time, as I always talk about. From Kale's mouth, three different doctors have told her not to do a home birth. And she's doing one anyway. That's really scary to me. My understanding is that Kale doesn't live very close to a hospital. Delaware doesn't have that many hospitals in general, just because it's a very small state. Um, There are lots of things, in my opinion, that go into, like, if you should have a home birth or not. Like, I currently live about two and a half minutes from a hospital. So, like, if I had a baby here, I could be at the hospital in five minutes. You know what I mean? Like, I could be at the hospital very, very quickly. And Kale, somebody on Reddit said she doesn't live very close to any hospitals. Three doctors have told her not to do it, apparently because she's anemic. Something, there's an issue with something. So, I guess Kale's going to have a home birth against doctor orders. So that's scary. And obviously, I wish that I hope everything goes well. I think uh, people would like it. I don't think anybody will admit this, but I think people would like it if it didn't go well. So they could say told you so. Because I think that the thing that bothers Kale the most bothers people the most about Kale people as in like people in the team mom fandom is that Kale doesn't seem to face consequences for her actions much like Janelle. And she blows up her life constantly and is just constantly making terrible decisions and doesn't really face a lot of consequences. I'm sure she faces a lot of emotional consequences based on 
just how I see her life. But she gets constantly rewarded for bad behavior. And I wouldn't be surprised if people, if Kale, something happened in a home birth and something happened to her or the baby, I think people would gloat. That's really disgusting. I hope that if she, if she really is going through with this home birth, that it goes safe and well and everything is totally fine and okay. Um, it's just really scary to me that she's going to do that. Also, apparently, Kayla's selling her house and building a new house back in Dover, which is like, duh. Adoy? Adoy? You mean to tell me that Kale doesn't like to live 45 minutes away from where her kids go to school? And she doesn't like to drive? I mean, luckily, she hasn't really had to drive them back and forth since March. Um, I wonder if her kids are going to go to school. My, I'm going to grad school. I've talked about that, right? Yeah, my school's going to be totally online this fall. It's the first Pennsylvania state school to make the decision to just go totally online. I think a lot of schools are going to follow suit. As of now, Penn State says they're opening, which is like, what the fuck? Imagine being coronavirus spreading in Happy Valley. Oof. Oof. Not good. In one of those frat basements, one person shows up there with COVID. Oh, terrible. But... I, I assume most schools are going to go online once, you know what I mean? Like, I think everybody's still debating it, but I think once, once time is up, people are going to go online. Um, and so Kale doesn't want to live in Middleton anymore. She moved there to be closer to Chris and Chris sucks. <laughs> Surprise. Okay, so back in this episode, we find out V is pregnant. Very exciting. She takes a pregnancy test, even though they've known apparently for a while that she's pregnant. The way they're talking about it sounds like they've known for quite a while that she's pregnant. (laughs) They tell Isaac, which is very cute because Joe's like, I have a surprise for you. And Isaac's all excited. And then he says, V's having a baby. You're going to have another brother or sister. And Isaac's like, I wanted a surprise. (laughs) Very cute. He wanted a toy. And um, he tells Kale and Javi about it. And Kale and Javi have a conversation about it. And Kale's like, that doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me. She's doing that classic Kale thing. She's like, I mean, I'll tell them congrats. I'll send them a congrats text. But I don't care. It has nothing to do with me. (laughs) They have their own family. It has nothing to do with us. She's like, I know it affects Isaac, but it doesn't affect me. So I don't care. Oh, Kale, we get it. We get it. Oh, she's just insufferable. She really is. I've been on like a Kale's insufferable kick lately. Um, Kale is like, you know, she's anti-vax. She's kind of a COVID truther. Her podcast is back. So I feel like I've been seeing a lot about stupid shit that she says. (sighs) She's just so stupid. She's really stupid. I think Kale is somebody that's not very intelligent, but thinks she's very intelligent and that she suffers from that disease. Because, <laughs> yes, I would call it a disease. So they go to Florida, and there is one funny scene. The one thing I want to mention is that she's like, you know, Javi and I haven't been fighting because he kind of refuses to fight with me, and I pick these fights, and he won't fight back. And sometimes I just want to fight, and her friend goes, yeah, because that's your personality. And once again, when describing V's baby, she goes, I don't give a shit. I'm happy for them. It's great they're having a baby. But other than that, I don't care. It's like, all you have to say is, like, I'm really happy for them. That's great. (laughs) The fact that she needs to include the I don't care part about it is just shows, like, how much she cares and how bitter she is. Okay, we will talk about Chelsea next, who has court with Adam. And really the thing to note is that As we know, obviously, 
Adam doesn't get any custody. The visits with his parents continue. And the fun thing is, is that, um, oh, well, one, right, like two days before they go to court, Adam texted Chelsea from a new number and was sending him, sending her old pictures of them together from high school, which is really interesting to me. I was very interested by that information because it definitely shows like how manipulative Adam is and that he was hoping that maybe he could like soften Chelsea up. Maybe he was trying to hook up with Chelsea because he figured like, well, if I can get her to hook up with me, she'll drop all this shit and I'll get more time with Aubrey. He's just so gross. He's such an abuser. This was like a really bad Adam episode as in like he came off really badly. Um, It's the second episode in a row that they're talking a lot about Cole, but Cole isn't actually on camera. He sends Chelsea this long message the morning of court, and he's like, and I hope that creep doesn't get any more time. I don't know. It's like, he is a creep, but that is Aubrey's dad, and this is on national television, so, like, maybe you didn't need to read that out loud. Aubrey's also very aware that they have court that day and that Chelsea's flipping out because they have to take her to daycare before they go to court. And so the whole family's in the car. Randy, Randy's wife, Chelsea Grace, Chelsea and Aubrey are in the car. They're late. Aubrey, Chelsea's like, I'm having a panic attack. I'm so stressed out. And Aubrey, who's like four, gives her a hug and is like stroking her arm. I'm like, ooh, this isn't great. <laughs> She de- the lawyer does say something funny to her where she's like, I'm just so nervous. I've never had to testify in court because they're having like a trial. It's not just like a mediation. And her lawyer does say, he's like, if you're not nervous, you go to court too much. <laughs> Which I thought was clever and it's probably true. <laughs> I think anybody would be a little nervous about testifying in court, even if you know you're 100% in the right, just because it's not an experience that you're used to. And most humans get nervous about things that have major consequences. And there's a lot on the line that you have no idea how it's going to actually go. Uh, the lawyer isn't going to have Taylor testify, even though... Taylor and Adam have not settled their case like Chelsea thought they had because the lawyer doesn't want to, like, blur the issues, which I agreed with. Of course, the day of court, Chelsea wins, although they were asking for visitation center visits and they did not get them until much... (gasps) Oh my gosh, I have the hiccups. I'm sorry. They did not get those until much later. Um, They... The big news and drama is that Adam gets arrested at the court hearing for back paid for unpaid child support to Taylor. <laughs> uh, so Adam's like sponsor, I'm guessing. I think it's Adam's sponsor. They call him Adam's friend, but I remember at the time like really feeling sure that it was Adam's sponsor. Uh, just because of the way he talks and acts and watching this back, I was like, yeah, that's probably his sponsor. So Picks Adam up from jail, and they're in the car afterwards, and Adam's like, this is such bullshit. This is so unfair. They had to go back in six months, like, assess how the visits are going. And he's like, six more months of no drinking and no taking bars, Xanax bars. I can do that. That's fine. That's easy. I've already done six months without it. And his friend is like, well, you know... It didn't go how you wanted it to go, but all the court has to look at is your record, and Chelsea doesn't have a record, so they had to make the decision that they made. Basically, he's, like, being very reasonable and sensible and not shitting on Chelsea at all, which is why I think that this guy was probably a sponsor, because that's what a sponsor is supposed to do. 
the sponsor is your friend, but not necessarily your friend in a way that like your friend would bash Chelsea, but the sponsor won't. They they try to be the voice of reason in your life. Adam is just he's just a piece of shit. Like he is just a piece of absolute garbage and it's on full display in this episode. All right, guys, let's bring it home. Let's wrap it on up with little Leah. Well, she's not little. Well, she is little. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So she, we do get a scene of her trying to get the girls ready for school. This is when production has really started with the Leah is a mess and she's having problem and can't control the girls. Um, It's really starting to ramp up. We see Addie drawing on the walls. We see Leah yelling at Grace that she can't put on makeup. It's just like complete, complete chaos. This is, I feel like, when everything starts. Once Jeremy divorces Leah, I feel like is when production really shifts in their edit of Leah. And obviously her drug addiction gets out of control. I still can't believe how much she left out of that fucking book. (laughs) I still, like... (laughs) She left so she included so much like crazy shit and also left out so much. That book was so weird. I like sometimes it just occurs to me how fucking weird that book was. But this is when Leah is like for sure losing her mind. Everything is going really bad. The drugs are obviously ramped up and Jeremy is leaving her. This is when she utters the famous line that she sees Jeremy for 12 hours a week and he comes home, he has sex, he goes to sleep, and then he leaves. Which is, I mean, yeah, you can't make a relationship work on that. I'm not surprised that Jeremy and Leah didn't work out for 100 million reasons. And one of them being that Jeremy is, like, not an emotional person. And when he goes to work, it seems like Jeremy would go to work, not want to talk to her the whole time he's away, then just come home and be home for one day a week. And, you know, that doesn't work. The way you sustain those relationships is by an emotional, an intimate emotional connection while you're away. And they were barely even in a relationship. So I don't know why Leah seems so surprised at this happening. She's like, well, I don't want to give up on him. I know who he can be. And I'm like, do you? I don't think you know Jeremy very well. Like, I don't think Leah and Jeremy knew each other very well because they got married so quickly after meeting. You know, they're married within a year of being together. And Jeremy was never home. (laughs) And they never talked because Jeremy doesn't talk to people. So how do you know who he can be? Because I don't really think that you do. And then Jeremy serves her with divorce papers. Apparently the sheriff served her while she was in the grocery store. Why didn't she talk about that in the fucking book? I want to know what it's like to get served with divorce papers in the grocery store. That must be embarrassing. Ooh, I hope if I ever get served with a lawsuit, it's not why I'm at the grocery store. I hope they can just come to my home. Remember on Real Housewives of Orange County when Lynn got evicted on camera? (laughs) That was embarrassing. And this is embarrassing for Leah. Oh, I can't imagine how embarrassing that is. A process server coming up to you in the grocery store. Well, maybe it wasn't a sheriff. Maybe it was a process server. I hope for her sake that it was a process server, not a sheriff. Because a process server just wears plain clothes. At my last job, we had to serve people with papers a lot. And our process server was very, very nice. I really liked him. And he just wore his regular clothes to do it. And if he went up to people in grocery stores, like, it didn't look like a cop approaching you. So she 
has to drop Grace off somewhere. And then she has the two other girls in the car. And she's just sitting in the car sobbing. One of her friends pops out from nowhere and gets in the car. I'm like, where the fuck did she come from? And then I guess, I think it's uh, Victoria that calls Leah. I missed who it was. I thought it was Dawn at first. But then I realized it wasn't Dawn's voice. I'm assuming it was Victoria. So Leah gets out of the car and she's like sobbing. Like she's, she's really crying her eyes out. You know, like Janelle's always saying, she's crying her eyes out, but Leah's like really crying her eyes out. And she's like, I can't be, I'm not myself. I can't be the happy-go-lucky person I am. Um, This is when she's really starting to admit that there is some sort of problem. She takes the girls over to her mom's house because she just can't, she can't deal with them. And she goes to a park to talk with a friend, and she's like, I just never imagined that I'd be going through a divorce again. I never imagined I'd be going... through a divorce again now I think what she's saying is like I never imagined I'd have two divorces under my belt by the time I was 22 I think that's how old she is here I don't even know if Leah's 21 at this point because I mean Leah and Corey were divorced by the time she was 19 right oh god Leah's like 22 maybe in this scene and she's like I would have never married him if I knew he'd give up and it's like yeah you probably would have she just keeps saying over and over again that Jeremy gave up on her, which is like, I, it's just she's not being honest. You know, she's not being honest about her situation. And she also says some scary things about how she just doesn't want to live anymore, which is sad and scary to hear. And she's saying that she's been thinking about going away for a while so she can get some really intense therapy and then come back a brand new person. And I was like, ooh, I remember when I went to rehab thinking it was going to make me, like, an entirely different person. And then I do remember, like, I'd been out of rehab for, like, a couple weeks and I still had all of my shitty habits except the drug addiction. I was like, fuck. <laughs> God damn it. Like, I really thought I'd be, like, a totally changed person. It, it unfortunately just doesn't and didn't work like that for me. So... Leah calls Jeremy and she's like, I want to go to a therapeutic treatment center. And this is how I know like MTV has given her a chance to go away because I don't think Leah would have came up with that phrase on her own. I have a feeling this is when MTV has stepped in. Now she doesn't end up going to treatment for a little bit after this, but this is like when treatment must have first started coming up with production. And Jeremy's like, you know what? I think that's a really good idea. I'm really happy for you. I really think you need it. And I think you should go there and like be totally honest and not hold anything back and like really do what they need you to do. I thought Jeremy was actually pretty good in this phone call. And then Leah's like, well, you need to work on the things that you need to work on as well. Like I'm not the only one that needs to get help. And Jeremy's like, well, what? And he, she's like, I may come back a completely different person. And Jeremy's like, well, no, Leah, I'm not getting back together with you. Like, we're getting divorced regardless if you go away or not. And Leah gets so mad. She's like, "You, why do you do this? Why do you talk like this? I don't understand. Why would you say that? And it's like, it's so obvious that at this point, Leah was not ready to get help. And she was just saying, I think Leah in her head, I think they had openly been talking about Leah's drug addiction. I would guess her and Jeremy off camera fighting about it. And so I would guess that Leah was like, okay, if I go to treatment and get better, then Jeremy will have to take me back because the reason he's divorcing me is because I'm a drug addict. And I mean, 
he divorced her for a million reasons. I would say especially the cheating would be my guess. But Leah's like, well, if he would, you know what I mean? So if I, like, basically she was trying to use treatment as manipulation, which is really fucking common. It's really common. It's bad, but it's common. I would say most addicts go to treatment, especially the first time, uh, because they're trying to get somebody in their life to forgive them, to trust them, to back off. Like, they're, most people are in treatment, not because they're like, I really want to go to treatment. They're not like me, who just... (laughs) My, how I got to treatment, me just, like, asking to go to treatment is not the norm. Usually, people are going to treatment to kind of try and manipulate their family or loved ones because their family or loved ones is, like, on, you know, they're on the last straw and they're ready to cut the person off and the person's like, I'll go to treatment, I'll go to treatment. And I think this is what Leah was doing and Leah was really mad that Jeremy basically called her bluff and was like, well, no. You need to go get treatment and you need to go work on yourself and you need to get better, but that has nothing to do with me. We're still getting divorced. You need to go do that regardless. And Leah did not want to hear that. And I would imagine that's why it takes a little bit longer to get her to treatment. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. I hope everyone has a lovely, lovely week staying home, washing our hands, being good people. Find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash explains. Okay, kiss, kiss. Love you guys. Have a good week. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.